Well, good morning, Lakeside. Good to have you here on first Sunday of 2024. If there was ever a day, as we think about the day in which we live, if there was ever a day where people need to know that somebody cares about them, uh, certainly today is the day with everything going around in our church family and in our, in our neighborhood and in our community. It's always been like that, but as, the, as we wait for the Lord to come back, as the years, the weeks, the months uh, go by, uh, God's word even says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some. Gather more and more so that you can be an encouragement to one another. And I take that to mean that God is saying as the days go on, people are going to need to know that somebody uh, cares about them. And so uh, this morning, what I'd like to do is follow up on Pastor Joel's uh, sermon, excellent sermon last week entitled Open Open the Door in 2024. And uh, if you were here last week, if you, if you weren't, it'd be g- worth it to go back on our website and, l- and look up and listen to the sermon. But he encourages us to open the door of our heart to Christ if you haven't done that, and then open the door of your home to people. And so what I'd like to do is somewhat topical this morning and talk about the value of what the Bible calls, and look at it from a Bible perspective, the value of hospitality, the value of hospitality. And uh, the scriptures have a lot to say about this, some very interesting things. And then uh, I would like to use the story of the woman at the well uh, to point out how Jesus interacted with this woman, how it radically, this little conversation over a drink of water, radically changed her life, and the value of you and I uh, extending a little simple act of kindness and, the, uh, and what, what God can actually do that if we, if we offer that to him. Now, I want to start off with a little uh, Bible uh, quiz, uh, not so much. I just want you to think in your mind. Three times Jesus starts a sentence in Scripture, or it'd be a verse for us, And Jesus says, the Son of Man, referring to himself, connecting with humanity, three times Jesus starts a sentence with, the Son of Man came, and I'm going to give you all three verses here, and I want you to notice the first two verses that I give you that fill out this sentence, give us the purpose for which he came, and the last one is going to give us the method by which he, he came. And so here we go. The Son of Man came, Jesus said himself, Mark 10, 45, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So he's saying, here's the purpose why I came from heaven to earth, born of a virgin, lived this life, crucified on the cross, buried, uh, resurrected, ascended up into heaven. The reason was not for me to be served, Jesus said, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's that's, uh, the first time. The second time, Jesus said something very similar, but with some different verbiage. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So so both of those sentences that Jesus spoke would go to the purpose for which Jesus came. Uh, Now the last one, you're going to say, wow, I I don't don't know where that fits. But really, I want you to think about this last one is going to, as he finishes the sentences, the method by which he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's the method by which he came to seek and to save the lost. And it's found in Luke 7 and verse 34. And Jesus simply said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, what? Yeah, so he came eating and drinking. The Pharisees are going to crucify him. uh, And Jesus says, and you say, look at him. He's a glutton and he's a drunkard. 
So apparently he did eat and, and, and he, he did drink and, and he was a friend of tax collectors and he was a, a friend of sinners. In the Gospel of Luke, you can almost uh, trace the whole idea of Luke's writing about the life of Christ. Robert Cairns said in, the, in Luke's gospel, Jesus was either going to a meal, Jesus was at a meal, or he was just leaving a meal. And uh, over like 10 stories of Jesus having a, 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 a glass of water uh, or a morsel of bread with somebody and the conversation that ensued. I, I, I like Jesus in that regard. Amen. You can, you can say that after Christmas and, and New Year's. But meals were more than food to Jesus. They were opportunities to connect and, and to fellowship and to welcome and to listen and to minister, to, to let people share what's going on in their life. That's going to be the, the, the woman at the well. Um, I, I want you to, to think of Jesus in this regard when you go through the Gospels. Jesus loved hanging out with people. Like, like he, just, he just loved to hang out with people. In our, in our account today, at the end of that account, uh, some men are going to uh, come to the well, and they ask Jesus to stay. And so in his busy schedule with all of his itinerary, he, he clocked it by the hour. They asked him to stay, and he stayed two days. So he was, he was, never, he was never in a hurry. But when you, when you take all through the Gospels, and you, it's a fascinating study to see who, who Jesus sat down and had a drink of water with or he ate a meal with, when you put all of those together, what you find is that Jesus was always enjoying people. He was celebrating the wins in their life, the victories, the special occasions, and he was also there in the deep valleys of their life. And so, so Jesus loved to hang with people, whether it's a great thing going on in your life or you're walking through a valley. And in our room, there's going to be, you know, if I, if, I, if I said, okay, everybody that's experiencing a great victory, you come and sit on this side. Everybody that's going through kind of a valley experience, you sit on this side. It, both sides would be full. Both sides would be just kind of like they are now because that, that's what's across the board. Jesus loved hanging with people wherever, wherever they were. He valued hospitality. And I'm calling it the Jesus way, just the fact that Jesus loved to hang with people, to have, have a, a bite to eat, have a, have a drink, drink of water, to be in their special occasions. And then even when people are broken, Jesus was there. And the Jesus way is the believer's way. That's, that's kind of the idea this morning that, that I want to encourage you with and even show you from Scripture that Jesus hanging with people in the victories and down in the valleys uh, is the way that we believers are called to interact with all the people around us. Scripture says that your neighbor is the person that lives in your presence or the person that comes into, you come into contact with that has a need. Either, either one of those qualify the person to be your neighbor. I noticed this little interesting verse. I was thinking about this verse uh, this week. So the disciples apparently followed Jesus with this eating and drinking kind of thing. And so, so they, were, they were telling Jesus, the Pharisees, well, look at even your own disciples. And it says, they said to him, the disciples of John the Baptist, they fast often and, and they're offering prayers and really somber and serious. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. They're somber and serious and no smile, uh, no, no smiles in the church service. Kids can't run around and nobody makes a noise and everybody act perfect, which is total opposite the reality of life. Uh, but, but notice the Pharisee says, but your disciples eat and drink. So the disciples were following the lead of Christ himself. 
Four or five times in Scripture, you and I are commanded, if you're a follower of Christ, to be hospitable. You're actually, you're actually uh, commanded to be. I just took one of the passages, Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, uh, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And so being hospitable isn't inviting your best friend over. Who, who you know is also a Packers fan or whatever it is, and, and we've chummed around for 10 years. It's easy. I don't even have to clean the house. That's not actually hospitality. It is, but the core of hospitality is inviting somebody you don't know because you want to get to know them, that you're, you're interested in them. So we're commanded as that. And I, I found out something in, in uh, studying about hospitality this week that I know I've known um, but you wouldn't find in the classical list of spiritual disciplines where you have fasting and praying and study of the word, you, you don't find hospitality. But I want you to notice that for an elder, two times in scripture, notice what 1 Timothy 3, uh, chapter 3 and verse 2 says about me and the elders. Therefore, an overseer, elder, must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. The, the guy needs to be hospitable or he's not able to teach or he's not qualified to be an elder. There has to be a love for a person that you don't know and an interest in what is their life story. Well, very rarely when we've put up a name for somebody to be an elder have I said, you make sure that they're hospitable. You're like, you, you look at their life. You, you put a spotlight on their life. And yet God says, it's so important that you mimic who Christ was that if your leaders don't do it, they're not qualified to be your leaders. So the Jesus way is to be the believer's way. And the simplest definition of hospitality is the friendly and generous reception of guests, visitors, and strangers. That, that's, and, and the actual original word for hospitable takes two words, and it's a love of strangers. That, that's what it is. It's a love of strangers. And so uh, in Christ's day, put your mindset back there, uh, they, they traveled by foot, they traveled by donkey, uh, they, they, they traveled dirt paths over hills, rocky, uh, whatever, to get from one place to another. And there were very few inns in Jesus' day. So the value of a believer, a follower of Christ, extending a drink to somebody along the way, or a morsel of bread, or if they were passing through and it was getting late and the weather wasn't good, opening up your home, that was the value that a Christian was to extend to somebody that they didn't even that they didn't even know. And so th these are powerful uh, uh, truths for us here this morning. Now I assume. And I feel like in the 18 years of getting to know the Lakeside family, I think that we're a friendly group. I think we do, do pretty good. And, 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 you know, maybe we need to get somebody from the outside to, to actually grade how friendly we are. But, but, I, but I think if, even if we do good at it, we should do better at what we do good at. And, uh, and so I, I would like us just to put a spotlight for a couple of moments on John chapter 4 share a couple of truths from there, and then I want to talk about the Jesus way and some principles about hospitality that, that as elders we're praying that the church family really gets behind this idea that Joel uh, first started 
uh, uh, last week. So if you look at John chapter 4, either in your Bibles or uh, in your bulletins there, and verse 4, it says, And he had to pass through Samaria, uh, verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Now, here's the map, and Israel had three different regions, and they were stacked on top of each other. You had Judea, which is in the south, which is where Jerusalem was. Samaria is color-coded for us on this particular map. Uh, That's the middle section. And then you had Galilee. I kind of cut it off in the map. You had Galilee up north and uh, Nazareth and those areas up there. That's That's where Jesus was raised. And Jesus in John 4 is on his way from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and he's going to minister. And uh, Samaria is this middle region. Now, Jews in Judea hated the Samaritan people, and here's why. 700 years before Jesus, the Assyrians, another uh, a nation of people, came and conquered the land. 722 BC, they conquered the land, and they did two things. They took a lot of a lot of the Jewish people out of Samaria and brought them to their land to get them out of their culture and indoctrinate them on the customs of the Assyrians. And then they flooded Samaria with their people, with the ones that were left behind. And so over time, what the Samaritan Jews did is they intermarried and they intermixed their religion. And so the Judeans down below always looked uh, snubbed and there was huge animosity to the Samaritans because they were sellouts. They didn't keep the bloodline pure. They don't worship like us. They're, they're, they're not doing it the way we are. And so they hated one another. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews back. Most Jews during that route would never think about going through Samaria. They wouldn't put a soul on the ground. They, they, would, go, they would take a little bit longer route and go, 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 go around uh, to the east. And so you had all this animosity kind of uh, built up. And if you look at verse 6... You'll see that Jacob's uh, well was there, so Jesus wearied. I I just want to stop right there. That's a little nugget for us. Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man, amen? Like, could you raise your hand if in the last couple of weeks you've been weary or wearied? Raise your hand. Well, Jesus identifies with you. He's 100% human. He's walking. He was wearied. That's what the scriptures scriptures say. He wasn't, he he was 100% human. And as he was journeying, verse 6, was uh, sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon. And then verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me, give me a drink. So the picture is Jesus is alone. Here's an artist's rendition of this. We're going to find out his disciples went into town to, to, to get groceries. I would have said to Jesus, hey, you can kind of just do one of these kind of things and save me the trip into the grocery store. But Jesus didn't always pull out the miracles for his own benefit. It was always for somebody else's. They're gone. He's alone. Here comes the, uh, here's the woman, woman at the well, the story that we know very well. He says to her, starts the conversation, give me a drink. I just want to pause right there. Long before Jesus touches on her sin, he drinks from her cup. There's a whole principle about loving your neighbor right there. Long before you have to point out which church you went to or why that's not a good church or we dress like this or this is the Bible version we use, Jesus touched 
long before he touched her sin, he drank from her cup. That, that's huge. This is, this is like a little taste of the Jesus way. Now, if you look at verse 9, the woman couldn't believe that Jesus was talking to her. And actually, when the disciples come back, they can't believe Jesus is talking to her. Nobody can believe Jesus is talking to her. But look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So you had all kinds of barriers that, that, that are well documented. You had a gender barrier. A Jew would never talk to a woman one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. You had a racial barrier. You certainly had a moral barrier. They're from two sides of uh, different sides of the train tracks. And you had a religious barrier. They weren't even worshiping in the same uh, temple. But in one conversation over a drink of water, all the barriers are broken. Isn't that just like Jesus? That's what he would want from us. Now, let's just stop for a second and say, well, what did Jesus see in this woman? We, we, want, we want to be captivated by the Jesus way. Well, what, when he looked at her compared to how everybody else looked at her, he saw her completely different than anybody else. Well, what did he see? Well, he, he talks about it in verse 16 of John 4. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you, have, one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So he sees a woman who is unmarried, living openly with the sixth in a series of men. The last guy apparently won't make a commitment to her because they're just living together, or she gave up on marriage altogether. Couldn't blame her. We don't know if the previous husbands died. Uh, most likely, maybe one or two of them did, and she either bailed on them or they bailed on her. All Jesus know, knows is that he's meeting a woman who has been beaten down and broken down because of life circumstances. She's, she's not found a relationship in her life that is either trustworthy or fulfilling he sees a woman, I think, as he's looking at her, who's looking for acceptance, who's looking for somebody to care, maybe who's looking for somebody to love her just because she's a, she's a person, she's a human. He sees somebody who her own people, she's an outcast to. All the women in that day would come, uh, you know, if you had to carry water from a well uh, four or five miles, you would figure out it's a lot better when it's 60 degrees in the morning than when it's high noon and 90 degrees. So all the women would go out and get the water early in the morning. She's coming at noon, and you, you can read into why she's doing that. She doesn't have friends. She doesn't have a companion. She, she's an outcast to her own people. And if you look back at verse 13, Jesus offers her living water. Jesus said to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him or her will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, I'm the living water. He's saying, you know, Jacob's well, by the way, you can go there today and they think they, think they got that well. There's a building they built over top of it. Uh, but if you look down at the well, Jacob had to dig this well. It's stagnant water down there. There are places over in Israel where the water bubbles up to the surface where it's a spring of water. And the ancient people would call those places where the water would bubble up living water because it was moving. 
And so Jesus is taking this imagery and said, Here, here's a well that was dug uh, by, by Jacob and it's kind of stagnant. Well, what I offer you, you don't have to dig for. It bubbles up. It comes to you. Amen. And he's saying, I'm the person. And by the way, he's saying the living water bubbles up. It comes to you. It, he's going to say, I, I just came to you. I just, I cut right through the heart of where nobody else would go because I needed to get to you. If you look back at verse four, it says he had to pass through. I mean, it was not optional between him and God that he had to, that he had to pass through there. Now, what I'd like to do is just read verse 27 through verse 38 uh, this morning for us. And I want you to see that Jesus is using uh, what takes place at the well because he loves the woman. But then, he's, but then the disciples are going to come back and he has a lesson to teach them about the urgency and the value of people in need and the need for, to get the gospel to them. So let me just read starting at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. By the way, his disciples came back with groceries uh, the woman's going to go into town a little bit later, and she's going to come back with people. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Uh, they, they've been hanging around him for a little bit. He, he came for people to seek and save the lost. Uh, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Jesus knows what they're thinking. So the woman left her water jar, she's so excited, and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, if, if you were that woman and there had been five guys you're living with, would, would you be excited about somebody rehearsing that history with you? Well, she had met somebody who spoke so gently and so kindly and so lovingly that she didn't, it, it wasn't to her a judgmental spirit by which Jesus came. He's speaking truth, but it's not, it's not with a finger pointed through my voice. And come and see a man who told me all that. Can, can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, you got to eat. They're, they're thinking food. He's thinking people. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know, don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? What, what in the world is he talking? They're on two different planes. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, accomplish his work, which is seek and save the lost. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. There's two commands right there. Look up and look around. See that the fields are white for harvest. And it wasn't harvest time yet. So many versions say the fields are ripe for harvest. Why would the actual word I looked up in the original language is actually white? Well, why would he say white for? Because that's what a harvest would look like when it's ready, ready to be harvested. And one author said, I think he saw the men coming from town uh, that the woman went and got, and they, their, their traditional dress would have been a turban with a white robe. So he's saying the harvest, is, it's, it's white for harvest. It, it's people coming to us. He says in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering a fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others had labored, and you have entered their labor. And so I want to talk uh, for a moment as we, as we conclude our time, and I want to just lay out in really short order here six kind of principles or concepts of the Jesus way 
as far as caring about people and how to reach them with the gospel and how would Jesus do it if he was living here today. And here's how I'm wording these. This is, this is how I thought this week. So I thought about never underestimating these things that Christ valued. So, so I'd, the Jesus way was to never underestimate. I'm going to give you six things, talk uh, for a minute on each one. Number one, the Jesus way, and, and I'm encouraging it to be the lakeside way and the believer's way, the, the Jesus way was to never underestimate the value of a single soul. The value of a single soul. Now, Jesus only had three years publicly. And if you're a politician today, you're generally probably going to go to a church. If you, if, you, if you want to be seen going to church, you're going to go to a church where there's more people than less people. And, uh, and you're going to want the bigger crowd. You want to maximize your time. You want to do all this. Well, Jesus valued a single soul. He left the crowds at the end of John chapter 3, and he has an appointment to go meet this woman. He's going to end up staying a couple of days. The value of a single soul. Jesus valued individual people. The Jesus way for you and I to care about individual people. I came across a verse, and I know it's in uh, Psalm 142 and verse 4. So I know the Samaritan woman did not write this verse. She wasn't alive yet, but the Samaritan woman could have written this verse. Here's what the psalmist said. Look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Well, the author of that psalm hadn't met Jesus, amen? Jesus cares, and we're to be in the place. We're Christians. We're, we're in Christ's place, and in this room, I know for a fact, there are people that feel this in their heart. There's no one that cares for their soul. There's people in your neighborhood and, and where you work. No one. The value of an individual single soul. Jesus said, when one's to the angels in heaven, there's myriads of angels upon myriads. Luke 15, 10, Jesus said, over one sinner who repents, the angels rejoice in heaven. The value of a single soul. Number two, the Jesus way is to never underestimate the impact of a single act of kindness. Don't, 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 don't ever underestimate a simple, single act of kindness. So you say, well, hospitable, that'd be having people over. Well, Jesus never had a home to invite people to. And so this is the one time I'm going to tell you to not be like Jesus. Jesus invited himself to other people's houses. And uh, so if I invite myself to your house today, I'm just saying, I would just like Jesus. You just need to get over it, you know, kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So you say, well, my home, man, I have to clean the meal. I'm not a great cook. I don't know, I wouldn't have anything to say, and you know, that's gonna be uncomfortable. Hogwash, that's not true. Jesus didn't even have a place to bring somebody to. He, he went and found them, and he started a conversation, a simple act of kindness. His kind gesture in treating her with respect and just having a conversation with her is gonna radically transform her life in one hour. It's not your churchianity that people are looking for. It's your Christianity that people are looking for. And there's a world of lonely people. Number three, moving uh, too quick. The Jesus way was to never underestimate the power of a personal invite. Personal invites are in short supply today. 
and some people haven't got out of uh, COVID mode where we can't have somebody in our house. We got to do this. We got to be careful. We got to do all this. You know, whatever, whatever it is. And I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just saying. Believers are called to be hospitable, which starts with an invite. An invite for a drink of water, uh, a morsel of bread, or does somebody need to stay overnight? It always starts with an with an invite. I, I want to show you Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Uh, he, he couldn't believe Jesus was walking by. He got up in the tree, and you know I, that's my favorite song to sing to the grandkids when they come over. Zacchaeus was a wee, wee little man. A wee, wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, "Zacchaeus, do you know the story? You come down for I'm going to your house today." Here's where it is. Jesus came to the place. He looked up. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He's inviting because he has no place to invite to. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and noticed the attitude by knowing Jesus had invited him to his own house, and he received him joyfully. There are people right here that have never been invited to somebody's house. They're going to go home to an empty house after the service is over. Jesus understood the power of a personal invite. You know, the other thing I was thinking about Jesus, he was so, he was so gracious with people, he was easily invitable. He never lacked a place to go have a meal because people knew, even unbelievers, even his enemies knew that he was, he was kind. Number four, the Jesus way was to never underestimate the presence of the Spirit of God already at work. Here's what you have to know. You have to know that Jesus cares, God cares more about your neighbor, the person you work with, the person that God's put on your heart, cares more about them than you do, and that he's actively involved in that person's life, and he wants to have somebody bring the gospel to him, and normally it's reaching out, and the, the way the gospel gets them to somebody is a simple uh, simple act of, of kindness. And so I, I have a couple of, uh, of verses here that, that, that I just want to get your mind wrapped around. I've shared this one before, but this was really powerful to me and actually encouraged me to not bail out of the ministry two weeks into pastoring my first church in Algona. The Lord said to Paul one night in vision, do not be afraid, go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. So that was a particular promise in a context. Uh, but the last line is the line that God has always brought to my mind. For I have many in this city who are my people. Well, when you study the context, the gospel had never even gotten to Corinth. How could he tell Paul that he had many people in the city when the gospel hadn't even got there yet? Well, because he had many people in this city, and he's orchestrating events for the gospel to get to them so they could believe in him, and he knew who they were. You see what I'm saying? Like, he's out ahead of us. He has many people in your neighborhood where you work, in the lives where you're connected, the social clubs that you belong to, in Polk City, whatever community you're from. He has many people in the city who are his people. They're just, God is waiting for somebody to reach out an olive branch, just an act of kindness. It's, it's not go to seminary and think about how to, how, to, how to share 10 verses in a row with them that you've memorized. No, it's a simple act of kindness. Now, to show you that it's not an accident, you live where you live, you work where you work, you, you're, you're around who you're around with. In Acts 17, the chapter before, God is saying to, to, to the city leaders, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faith, having determined... 
allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling places. So I just want you to step back. The sovereignty of God. And so what God is saying to us, wherever you're living, wherever you're at right now, wherever you are, it's by the sovereign design of God that you're there. And there's people around you and the boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him. They don't even know how to get to him. They don't know how to, how to find, and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And the reason why God can say God is actually not far from each one of those people is because you live in neighborhoods. You, you, you are Christ to them. And so, so he, he's saying, no, look, you reach people where they are. You are placed specifically where you live and breathe and you move and you work. There's no accidents uh, with God. So uh, this idea of the presence of the Spirit of God is already at work where you live and the, the people around you. Number, number five, two, two more. Uh, number five, the beauty of the lost art of listening. Never underestimate the beauty of the lost art of listening. Will Rogers, a famous quotable guy, said that he had never learned anything while he was talking. I thought that was pretty good. And then Mr. Rogers, uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Who would have known that I would quote him today and even put him in his sweater up on the screen? Here's what he said, and it's one of the most profound truths that I've heard It's hard not to like someone once you know their story. I want you to think about that. Think about the person you've sat down with and you don't know them, but you find out and you didn't realize. I remember our neighbor that lived across the street from us and, and it, through a series of things, we ended up buying his house after Bible college and, and George was his name and, and we, we were always around George and, and we did some things together, but I never really knew about George. And, but when we, we came back, George was going to move to a nursing home and he, and, and I was in the neighborhood because we wanted to buy another house in the neighborhood. Uh, and George says, well, I'd love to sell you mine. And so we sat down at the kitchen table. He, he stuttered, so he, he went, he said, just a second, just a second, Dave, and, and Deb and I were up there at the table with him, and he went down the basement, he came back up, and he brought a box, he had tears coming down, he got a purple heart. Stutterer George had gotten a purple heart in World War II, he was on the beach of Normandy, he went out and rescued a, a captain who got shot in the water, he risked his life, and he brought him, brought him back, saved his life, he got a purple heart. I wouldn't have known all those years. And there's, there's George. It's hard not to like someone once you know their story. We need to get to know people's stories. Don't, don't you want somebody to know your story? Like somebody who really cared, just like to listen about, okay, what, what is your life? Where were you born? What was the, what was the difficulty? What, 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 what went on? Who, who, how did you become who you are? And then number six, because I'm out of time. Never underestimate the power of the gospel to transform a life. I just want you to look at the end of the story. It starts in verse 39 of John chapter 4. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him uh, because of the woman's, I actually have it here, because of the woman's uh, testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. No, like her life so radically changed 
those men that she went and got that either dumped on her or whatever took place, that the divorce took place, she goes, she goes, I want to bring you back. And they believed the power of Christ and the gospel to change a life. Now, you know, the woman of Samaria is nameless. She's just a woman of Samaria. And I think it's because she's a timeless character. And I think what Jesus is saying, everybody's story is different, and, and, and maybe there's nobody in our room that's gone through five divorces. I, I, once, uh, uh, I once worked with a guy that, uh, uh, that uh, seven divorces, and the last one, he was married for a week. They went out to Colorado. She nagged on him a little bit, and so he left her there, and he's never seen her since. And so that's kind of people I worked with, which is, you know, but she's nameless, because she's a timeless character. She represents lost, hurting, lonely, desperate humanity all around us, like all around us. You don't have to be Pinterest perfect. You don't have to be the greatest cook in the world. You don't have to have, this should get an amen, you don't have to have perfect children. Amen. You have to care about people. One of the, you can do this in many ways. This is how my wife and I have chosen to do this. So we, uh, you, you, can, you can go on, uh, I, w- I just went on Polk County Assessors, put my address in there. And I, I, bet, if I, I bet if I asked you to name your 10 closest neighbors, very few, a small percentage would be able to list them all off. I, 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 I almost make the bet that there'd be maybe a handful that could do that. And so I went on, we go on the Polk County, we did this as a kid, we had a whiteboard behind our couch, and we, we used to use a, a, a thing that we could put it up on the board and we would trace this out. So, the fi- so uh, you know, I, on the live stream, 521's my address there, uh, for whatever that's worth. So, and these are all my neighbors around here, and here's what, here's what we do. So we have our neighbors' names written in there, and I just have the first names on this one, and these are the people that live around us. When, we were, when our kids were young, we'd have a whiteboard behind, and when we'd do devotions, we'd pull that out, and we'd pray for our neighbors. And so I, 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 can, I can tell you, being fully human and fully uh, transparent, that uh, the four years that uh, Deb and I have lived, even as a pastor, we've had three of these 12 neighbors into our home. Well, we're going to pray for them. We're going to. So, what, what I'm saying is, is that just be practical. Think about who has God put on your heart. Who 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 is somebody that that you you should uh, a simple act of kindness, uh, maybe invite into your home, open up your heart and your home uh, to that person. In 2024, we we want we want to encourage you, elders starting. We want to encourage you to reach out the Jesus way. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you. I, I know, Lord, um, I, I sense that even in this room, uh, there are people that not necessarily with all of the details of the woman of Samaria's life, but they are identifying with the fact that they, they're not sure what their purpose is. They're not sure what their direction is. They're not sure that anybody really even cares. 
And so, Lord, for, for that person or persons that are here right now, Lord, I pray by your spirit that they would sense in this room and that they would sense from you that there are people here who care. Lord, I thank you for your selfless sacrifice of dying on the cross and offering forgiveness of sins and a past of huge, horrible choices, that you wipe the slate clean, that you transform lives. Thank you for this woman of Samaria. I long to one day meet her in heaven and, and the men that she brought and, and introduced to Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray with all my heart as, as the lead elder and that the elders would, would, uh, would, would be the examples and then that down through the people who call Lakeside home. Lord, would this year, would, be, would we be intentional? Would, would we recover the lost art of listening? Would we uh, just simple acts of kindness? Would we value uh, a single soul? Would we see that your sovereign hand is way out ahead of us, that we're placed where we're placed on purpose and that you're doing a work in life? And, uh, and we'll, we'll thank you for everything that you're going to do and pray that you would use us in Christ's precious name. Amen.